Welcome to the podcast, Your Life Interrupted. Remarkable stories from everyday people whose experiences alter how they view themselves, the world around them, and even their place in the world. I'm your host, C. Green, and I'm thrilled to launch this podcast. For the past year, I've collected transformational stories that hopefully will capture your imagination and quite possibly prompt you to share your own story with me and our audience. I'll begin with a moment in my life where simple events had an outsized impact on me and the people around me. I was an unwitting witness to someone's state of mind, and that experience compelled me to fundamentally change how I interact with people, even to this day, and my moment happened in the last century. My story is what prompted me to collect other stories. So what can you expect from Your Life Interrupted? A lot. I think you'll find people you want to meet or know more about. These stories are alternately profound and funny, outrageous and charming, much like the people behind them. To give you an idea, I'll mention just three people who I trust you'll want to tune into. First, there's Nicole from New York, who found compassion in the most adverse situation, or Lang in Tennessee, who found his life's calling in the most extraordinary way. Next is another Nicole, but from Alaska this time. Nicole found her passion and started a company, which you'll hear might soon take over the freezer section of your local grocery store. But what makes her moment almost unbelievable is because it started as a result of some devastating, potentially life-threatening news. These stories and more are what you'll find each and every time you tune into Your Life Interrupted. Let me get started with my own story. It took place during first semester of college. That's when I was directing the sophomore class musical Once Upon a Mattress, which is loosely based on the fairy tale The Princess and the Pea. Rehearsals were well underway. We had the cast part. People were doing lighting, choreography, music, and everyone was pretty much pulling their weight. We all seemed to be heading in the right direction. After each rehearsal, I would give the actors their notes, and we would agree on what needed to be worked on. During this time, I noticed one actor, I'll call her Anna. Anna had a relatively small role with a total of maybe 12 lines. Yet every day, she would come in and add texture, nuance, and layers to her character. What was important about her role is was that she was on stage before the curtain goes up. She basically established the backstory of the play and provided the context. She effectively really set it all up. So while it was not a big role, it was important. Now, when this story takes place, we're about a week away from opening night, and I'm getting super frustrated by the cast. It feels as if they're all just mailing it in. There's very little energy. One of the leads is still getting her line straight. Another has decided not to project her voice, so we can't tell if anyone's going to hear her past the fifth row of the theater. And another one needs constant reminders of her cues of when to enter exit the stage. And I should add that this place was entirely volunteer. No one was getting course credit. No one was being graded. So as a director, I had little or no leverage to get the cast to rise to the occasion. And at this point in time, I was getting really irritated. So at the end of rehearsal one day, I really lay into the cast. To drive home my point, I say, in truth, there is only one person here who from day one has showed up, worked hard, and as far as I am concerned, is our exemplar. So I I would like Anna to take a seat, and I want everybody else to stand and give her a standing ovation. 
you can see each person's face. There's surprise on some, irritation on others. You can see people thinking like, why her? She's got such a small role. I'm much more important. But slowly and surely, everybody complies. I point out to Anna and I say to them, that's who you should emulate tomorrow and for the rest of our time together because Anna is our gold standard. And that was that. Everyone rallied. We did the run of the show and we were done. That was November. So fast forward to five months later, it's April. And because I was a resident assistant and part of the college's residential life, I got a call from the school psychologist. I'll call her Martha Fox. Martha says, hey, see, you know, I've checked your schedule and it looks as if you're free for the next hour or so. Can you help me out? I say, sure. And Martha explains that she's headed into a meeting, but has a student who is waiting for her parents to pick her up. And she asks if I could come and take her for a walk. I agree. And she mentions the student is Anna. So I head over to the building, ask Anna if she wants to take a walk since it was a really gorgeous day out and no need to stay inside. So she agrees. We walk and I start talking about the play and all seems okay, but I feel the sort of heat coming from Anna. And I know that sounds odd, but that's the only way I can explain the energy that's coming my way from her. So we keep walking. I'm telling stories and asking her about her courses and her course load. She's responding. It all seems like a very easy conversation. About 30 minutes into our walk, Anna stops super abruptly, stands in front of me and asks in a very challenging voice, are we friends? Again, there's heat emanating from Anna. And I know this is really important to her, but I'm not exactly sure why. I also know that it's crucial. I'm honest. So I say, well, why do you ask? And at this point, I'm really just buying time to discern what's sort of at the root of her question. Anna says, well, because you're talking to me like we're friends, and if we are, then why have we never hung out? Again, buying time, I say, well, you know, actually, I think when we did the play together, we did develop a bond. But once the play was over, our circles didn't really overlap. I mean, you're a biochem major, which means most of your time is in the science center, and I'm a political science drama major, which means I'm on the main campus. I live on old campus, you live on new, so really, if you think about it, our paths have never naturally crossed. I can tell this is not giving her what she is looking for, and I can still feel this heat, which I've now identified as sort of pent-up anger. So I add, you know what, Anna, here's the thing. We can't change the past, but here we are on a beautiful random day, each enjoying each other's company. Well, why don't we just enjoy this and call it a start? How's that? Across her face, through her eyes, I watch her evaluate and make a choice. She chooses which way to go, with heat and confrontation or with calm and cool. It's palpable. And in that moment, it's like a storm breaking. Her shoulders relax, the air dissipates, and she gently nods her head yes. We walk a little further in silence, then I tell another story of some shape or form, which Oddly, no matter how many times I've replayed this scene in my mind, and I have many times over the years, I have no clue what we continue talking about during the remainder of our walk. Interesting, some moments of that morning are as vivid as a technicolor photograph, and others a total blur. When time was up, and I'll add, this was pre-iPhones, so I was getting not getting a text to let me know when her parents had arrived, I did a very analog thing and checked my watch. So at about the time I thought her parents should have arrived on campus, I walk Anna back to Dr. Fox. I do recall saying, 
I'll see you soon, Anna. And she looked at me and quietly said, sure, then quickly looked down as if embarrassed. And that was one of the snapshot moments I'll never forget. She looked embarrassed as if she had extracted something from me, a promise or something that wasn't actually hers to have. Dr. Fox thanked me and very casually asked me to stop by later to talk about some other upcoming campus activities. I have to tell you, I walked away shaken. Something larger than just a walk had taken place, and I felt as if I just walked through the looking glass. I went to the dining hall, got a cup of coffee, and sat down across from my head resident, Eileen. It was at that moment I realized I couldn't pick up my cup without spilling it. My hands were shaking so much. Eileen asked me what was going on, and I described the morning walk, much as I've just done with you now. Eileen asked me if I wanted her to go with me to see Dr. Fox. I demurred and said I'd go alone, partly because I assumed there was something very personal and private going on. I realized if I had someone with me, I might not get the clarity I needed to understand what had just happened. Turns out Dr. Fox had been working with Anna for the better half of the year, helping her manage her emotions. Obviously, I was never going to be privy to the details of Anna's experience, nor should I, but I just needed to understand what was going on. Apparently, during all the sessions Anna had with Dr. Fox, and from what I can gather, because I was never given the specifics, their conversations were very frequent. In all that time that Anna would speak about the people on campus being harsh or unkind or dismissive of her, I was the only person who she said was kind to her. That while everyone else ignored her or disregarded her, I was the lone person on campus who cared. That knocked the wind out of me, as if I'd been hit full force in the gut, and I felt ashamed. I explained to Dr. Fox why I had called Anna out to the cast, And even as I spoke the words, I realized I was just like everyone else. I hadn't praised Anna for her. I wasn't kind to her just for her. I had shown the light on Anna for my own purposes. And that made me feel so low. The pain and isolation Anna must have felt was unimaginable to me. I was a 19-year-old college student, pretty self-centered and not that aware of other people's feelings or emotions or state of mind. And so in that moment, and for each day forward, I've tried, not always succeeded, in simply being kind for no other purpose than to make someone smile, a stranger, a friend, a colleague, or a family member. In that moment when my life was literally interrupted, I changed. And again, I'm no saint. You can ask my mom and my family. I fail more often than I succeed, but I am aware of the difference and I try to make that difference. That's my story, my moment. I have so many more, not quite so dramatic, and I'm sure you do too. Please be sure to subscribe and become regular listeners to Your Life Interrupted. Remarkable stories from everyday people whose experience has altered how they view themselves, the world around them, and even their place in the world. I'm your host, C. Green, and I'm thrilled to have you join my podcast. But don't keep it a secret. Tell your friends, tell your colleagues, tell your family, tell the bus driver. We have some stunningly interesting, funny stories coming away. So thank you and come back. I'm C. Green with Your Life Interrupted.